Let's go. What's good? I am Damo, the political plug. This is the Chop Up Show. We are here with y'all on a Friday. I know y'all used to spending y'all Thursday evenings with us, but uh, we got a special report, special edition to come through y'all, come with y'all on y'all Fridays before y'all start kicking it. I'm here with Toya G, my dog. What's good with you? I'm well. Well, I'm not well. I'm well, but I'm not well, which is why we had to push the show just a little bit. So shout out to God for being patient while I'm dealing with a little bit of the ick, but uh, I couldn't let too much time pass without checking back in with the family. So I got a little rest last night uh, and I'm ready to talk to some business, talk about what's been going on here today. So we in the building. If y'all here, you know what to do. Melodious, if you in here, what's up? Tyler, if you decided to stick around, what's good? Tiffany, what's going on? Y'all say what's up. Make sure you speak. Don't get too comfortable without saying what's good. And also, real quick, hit that share button because the chocolate's on at a different time. So now a whole new group of your friends might be able to jump in here with us. So make sure you let folk know you tapped into the Chop Up Shop. What's good? Exactly, exactly. And with that being said, we can go ahead and get right into it. Um, what we start? Which one start with? Tell you. All right, we're gonna go ahead and start with you in this conversation about the Black ah. Entertainment Television Network Incorporated. Yes, Black Entertainment Television Network Incorporated. It's been some very interesting things going on with BET. As Black people born in the eighties, you know what I'm saying? Grew up in the nineties. BET played a large role for who, like, how we got to see music, fashion. You know what I mean? Like all. Like uh, everything that had to do with black media, music videos, all of that, right? BT mm-hmm. was what it was. As of recently, though, I mean, actually, way back, like well, I guess once they sold BT, it was a massive decline in the cultural uh, relationship that BET had with black people. Because it is known as for those who don't know, BET is Black Entertainment Television. Right? Absolutely. So. Uh, when you watching BET, the idea, and, and even when when it when it showed music videos, right? When it had Video Soul and 106 in Park, and it was that's when we saw ourselves in it. Yeah. Once Bob Johnson sold it, BET went a whole nother way, right? It, it was just another MTV with blackface. It was VH1 with blackface, right? Um, it turned into a bunch of reruns of the same movies, a bunch Man, of reruns of the same the TV baby shows. Baby, you look, baby boy. Know. Holiday heart, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah. and then and then you know, let's we ain't gonna get on the the, the censor and the way BET movies censor instead of saying <laughs> MF and Mickey, man, that crazy Mickey Ficky, you know <laughs> yeah. Mickey Ficky, that's one of my names, right? You know what I'm saying? That's that's what BET was, but in, in, in more recent news, recent news is about to, it's really getting interesting. Paramount, yeah, which owns BET, is selling majority stake, they don't really see the value. <laughs> Clearly, because black people ain't really attached ain't to it. Like, you know what I'm saying? So Paramount is like, all right, we sell the majority state. And there's two names that then came up. Tyler Perry and Byron Allen. Yes. Now, when I, when I first heard the news, I thought both Byron Allen and Tyler Perry was like a joint effort. But it was soon clarified <laughs> that no. No. Like, this is Byron Allen trying to buy it and Tyler Perry trying to buy it. Right. Like, when, when you first heard that news, Toya, what was the look? 
before I share how I felt about finding out that these two were trying to buy this, I want to shout out Kevin because we ain't got to have Kevin in the mix in the comments in a minute. Shout out to Kevin, who is probably here for more of the police department conversation. So hopefully you tap in and swing the block and listen to I to the Apple podcast. The Replay Spotify, value is there. The LA gangs, but I just want to shout out the homie Kevin uh, in the comments. So now, uh, and looking at Bob Johnson and Tyler Perry potentially owning BET or being, you know, major stockholders in it, my first thought was, hmm, interesting. Uh, okay, right. Like I, I think, <laughs> I, I think I so much has gone and happened with BET over time, right? BET was such a force during our adolescence and our childhood. It came into prominence as cable television started to expand. It really was a bedrock for the culture and represented a lot of things. But I feel like it missed a lot of opportunities to capitalize on the uh, appetite of Black people to want to see themselves and see their images there. And the Bob Johnson situation, a lot of the shifts and changes, the ownership under Deborah Lee, the ownership under a bunch of, like a lot of things just started to to really shift about it. And I wonder when I look at that, if BET has missed their window um, to really have the same type of cultural relevance and influence that Black uh, owners would have. And then the second thought I thought was, you know, just because Black people are running something these days, especially in entertainment, doesn't mean it's going to be something that serves what our best interest is. And we are yeah. still trying to figure out what is in our best interest to be seeing on TV. So I was like, hmm, interesting. Noted. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Like when, when I first peeped game, for me, it was it was really like, okay, independent Black media. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's, two, it's two very rich Black people. Yeah. To, to very rich black people who already have a stake in mainstream media, right? A lot of control. Byron Allen owns who like a plethora of uh, Fox affiliates, a, a part of Fox Network. I mean, we'll get more into his resume in a second. And then Tyler Perry, who has like, you know what I mean, literally created his own media empire and, and how he's been moving. So my first thought was a, a, a black man finally, or a black person finally being back in control of a black media network, right? Like, so I'm, you know, I, I did start thinking positive, but then, but then I started getting rational and we started, we, we started to have to think, okay? Let's start with who are we putting our faith in to create this independent, right? right? Uh, Taylor the tape, Byron Allen versus Tyler Perry. Let's start with Tyler Perry. Right. Tyler Perry is, is more known. Uh, he has, uh, and, and I pull up some, you know, saying some of his works to you. I know you got started with the plays the same way I got started with the plays. I think everybody got started with, most people got started with the plays. You know, you right. was uh, getting your hair done somewhere. You was getting your hair cut. You was at uh, your auntie house and somebody had a plan on randomly. Somebody had a hold of some Tyler Perry uh, 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 C DVD. Um, and Something. I even, I think bootleg. I went to two different shows. Yeah, definitely. Bootleg. It was definitely the bootleg. And so, uh, as well as he's recently uh, took over a lot of BET shit, right? Like a lot of a lot of the programming when we see on BET right now uh, was like the, the Pains, Bruhs, Sisters, Sisters. Um, the, what's the the uh, it's, a, it's it's one about the White House, right? Uh, and so it's like Tyler Perry. I mean, and they, and they are like, diverse, right? They're not all commas. They're not all melodramatic. They're not all Christian centered. They're not uh, all. They're not right. There are a lot of diverse. There's some diverse. There's some drama. There's some comedy. There's some 
um, attempts. And he's he's and even when you look at the movies that he's produced, even outside of the TV shows and stuff like that, you see that Tyler Perry has been working to demonstrate his expansive pen work, right? Either in the production, the production level, the uh, writing level, or even what he started. Okay, so this is the thing, though. This is the thing. Because I, I feel like this is where the plug we came have to, to hate now. Tyler Perry, y'all, by the way. I just want to. I, I did not come to hate on Tyler Perry, though. Do I did not come to hate on Tyler Perry. Do you know what Tyler Perry's real name is? Do you know what his real name is? It ain't even Tyler. It's not even Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Like, that it's is not. like that was going to be the scandal of 2023, y'all. The plug came to hate on Tyler Perry, and that's fine. <laughs> Maybe some of y'all did too. I, I I didn't come to hate on Tyler Perry, but I do want to point this out though. There is some good, bad, and ugly associated with Tyler Perry. That's just the reality of it. Mm. Like outside of, because look, I'm not a celebrity worshiper. I'm not a capitalist, right? So the things that most people attach themselves to when it comes to Tyler Perry, I can objectively look at his contribution to the black arts because that's okay. what it is. Yeah, his contribution to the black arts in terms of black. Yeah, I think to the arts. I think he's starting to not that it's important to delink, and I don't think he would support the delinking of himself from blackness and black entertainment and black arts. But I also think you can't deny or ignore the ways that he has sent throughout kind of media, cinema, cinematography, and media over the last decade and a half, maybe. I don't think you can. Now, now, but see, that's the thing, though. I don't. To me, I can't just equate his popularity without. I'm sorry. So, so, but, but, so, like, I wanted to, do, I wanted to do the good, the bad, and the ugly. I, Go I want to do the, I want to do the I, I good, the bad, and the ugly. I interrupted that. Sorry. <laughs> so, so the good, the bad, and ugly of Tyler Perry. The good is he gives back. He hasn't disconnected himself from black, from black people, right? Like, it's a lot of there are a lot of black actors and actresses that he makes sure get work, regardless. Even if it's just in his stuff, he makes sure these black people get work. He's built a, a independent black film studio in Atlanta. It was, it was like an old Confederate base, right? So yes. it's like he's, he's, he's done the work. He's doing the, he's doing the work. Like and I also want to include that along with him building that, that, uh, that studio, that he paid over a million, maybe even a million and a half dollars in property taxes because he knew him building that studio where it was was going to negatively impact the property value of the individuals who lived in that community. So he said, don't you worry about it. I got, I got it. Right. And so covered the property tax increases for who knows how many households within that zip code or area or however they decided to do that. The man cut like because he knew that he brought value to that and that would make the home like those homes more expensive. He paid for that. Right. So in turn, like so he got a good like his heart is there and he's he's doing what he needs to do with the bread. A million right? more examples, by the way, just so we're clear. A million, so clear. a million more. That that's just surface level. Like I'm not mm-hmm. like and I want to start with the good because I want to make sure that. Even though I'm about to get into more critical aspects of his success, Can't like wait. what he's been able to do as a, as a successful individual has been productive for uh, in terms on, on the finance side, the employment side, to making sure black people are straight side. Tyler Perry cannot be talked bad on when it comes to that. The bad. Who's the bad? Who's a lot of a, a, a lot of what Tyler Perry relies on uh, is. What I what I would what you about to say, man? Because I mean, because because I, I said a lot of good things, so I want to make sure I'm, I'm respectful in, in, in this criticism. But his work, like his work, is it, in terms of it being so popular, mass produced, everything else, is not really it it it, it don't add to the art. Like it's not good. You're not gonna look. It back doesn't add to the art. 
No, it, you, you're not going to look back and say Tyler Perry is a, you know, like, like added to, it's like cinema, right? It was like, this is what Tyler Perry does. Interesting. You know what I mean? But it's like, like, but when we when we look at it, like it 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 doesn't age well. His work don't age well, really. Like because of the because of the tropes, it, Toya. Because of the tropes it relies on, like a lot of the. I mean, it, it, I, if you look at the why did I get married and you know uh, all of like what makes the foundation of these Tyler Perry stories in terms of like really like black media, it's not something that we would put up on the shelf and say this is the best example of uh, example of what it is that we bring. Right? Like black storytellers, like Tyler Perry is not a great black storyteller. I think that is troubling to assert and to assume for a couple of reasons. One, I think the fact that he has been able to amass the money that he has. This is not just somebody cranking out shit. I'm talking about plays have been historically sold out. I'm talking about movies have been well-funded, have gotten returns on their investments. I'm talking about a lot of people have been able to make their actorial debuts, able to get offshoots and get their own shows. When we talk about House of Pain, when we talk about um, a a couple other examples, I'm just, somebody's out there buying them tickets. He ain't, like, there are people who connect from a couple different perspectives. A, from the endearment that they get, like what we call tropes, what we call kind of problematic images, we got to realize some people do relate to. Some people are in very historically and deep-rooted Christian Black families where the mother is the matriarch or the grandmother is the matriarch. He already talks about the fact that, for example, the Medea character is a combination of his mother, some aunties, some other people that he grew up with that influence. Like, so I, I, it's hard to just be like he adds nothing to the canon of black cinema, cinema, largely because he's been the only water in a drought of all black cast, of all black cast in a number. Think about just contemporary to 2010 to 2020 sitcoms and movies that have been in theaters. You're not finding on a regular basis. So you can say what you want to from your personal subjective perspective about the quality of that content, but to pretend that it does not exist and does not fill a gap and a void. And spoken to somebody is my only argument, right? It spoke to somebody, people from religious or spiritual backgrounds, people who enjoy uh, uh, gospel music and seeing the convergence of those things, things who have wanted to, people who wanted to see your, your Idris Elbas, your Taraji P. Hensons, right? Some of your favorite stars, Cicely Tyson, on top of people whom you've never heard of, who now become household names, like, uh, um, I mean, she was already kind of in the mix with Tamala Mann. Right. And talking about, I think her name, her first name is Cerise. I can't remember her last name, but the main character, um, the woman in Meet the Browns or no House of Pain, rather. Right. So, so many different characters who have been able to find a lane or stay in a lane, continue to make money off of Tyler Perry movies and shows. Like, let's stop playing games. Shout out to Jay Universe and Delightful uh, Deli B for saying y'all see both sides because I can get, I'm not immune to the criticism. And I don't think Tyler Perry can be immune to the criticism that there are some tropish concerns, right? Light-skinned, hard-working man goes in and saves the life again of some single mother who has been thrown away by society because she got too many kids and if somebody got a drug addiction. And, um, you know, the old uncle, I think it's, I forget the uncle, the uncle's name. But I'm like, yeah, yes, right? There are some common caricatures of components of Black, I, I guess, existence and reality that it demonstrates. But to pretend that these are not things that, do actually exist and that people connect to is just a lie. And that's all I'm saying. Melodious, welcome back, said we wouldn't count it amongst the best of black cinema, 
cinema, but we should. Before him, the only time we saw movies uh, capture parts of the Black experience were Black exploitation films. And this is why I'm saying, like, let's be honest about what is out there, right? We can try to wait for and anticipate these big blockbuster films supported by huge uh, studios and with all of our favorite actors in it. We can try to hold out and wait for a new era of, you know, what we had back in the UPN days and back uh, when we had Martin and when we had uh, the Wayans brothers and when we had Jamie Foxx show, when we had Family Matters and had Black, you know, living single. We can try to, you know, we can go back to, we can want to go back to those days. They just don't exist anymore. And the only person who has been able to fill that void has been none other than Mr. Tyler Perry. So, you know, the plug is coming back in. He's made it back. And so he's going to continue to try to paint the bad of Tyler Perry and talk more about these tropes that Tyler Perry fits into. And has <laughs> and I'm still going to ride. Right? Even 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 when the haters are gone. I'm going to still stand mm-hmm. in toes down with my perspective that the bad outweighs the good. Keith J says, and maybe you'll agree or disagree with this plug, Keith J says, I think my biggest problem with Tyler Perry is that there has been no growth in his art. And, and that's, listen, I can, it depends on your metric of growth. I will say one metric that annoys me of growth is the quality of, it just feels like the quality of the shit just looks a little like. It what is looks it? better, yeah, because it ain't on the stage no more, what right? He has like, he has this whole studio, you feel me? So it does look better, but this is the thing, Toya. You. you talking about the success of it, check this out. Who sell more burgers than anybody? McDonald's. McDonald's. Do we call McDonald's gourmet? Right? Yeah. Do we consider do we consider McDonald's great American cuisine? No, it's something you know, we right. enjoy on the Donald Trump, right? It's 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 uh but it's 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 something that we enjoy. Like yeah, we enjoy it, it's empty calories. You know what I mean? We don't get it, it's it's something it's something that fills us up for the moment. It's but I mean, I think that, that begs the question. I think the whole empty calories analysis analysis begs the question of if every black entertainer and everything that somebody produces has to be the thing that makes you feel right, gotta be good and fulfilled and hold yeah. on the inside. I don't think that's a standard or a banner that everybody has to carry. I think there are meaningful projects and a lot of black artists out there contributing to the canon and to the landscape of what we have in that way. Does Tyler Perry have to do it in order to be considered valued, valuable, or a part of the the, the legacy of Black cinema? No, I think he could just be himself. And right, right, he right. But he can. But at, at, at the same, but but the, I, I would just frame that as okay. That's the bad. Now let's get to the ugly. What's the ugly? Tyler Perry's work. A few of his works can be considered trauma porn. Listen, for color girls, can be considered. Trauma porn. What makes something trauma porn? What do you mean by trauma porn? This is important to kind of uh, uh, mobilize the language that you're using so that people can understand. So when when I'm referring to trauma porn, I'm talking about uh, things that take very traumatic um, uh, uh, instances, traumatic images, traumatic narratives, and then and really just use it to like to use it to create a movie. Right, it's just the ba- the basis for the movie is just the traumatic experiences. I think the the spectacular you know to make it a spectacle, right? To make it the thing right. that you remember the most about that particular experience, and not as much of the story or the meaning or of the um, imagery or any of the things, other things that the the, the the picture was supposed to be creating. Instead, it is solely predicated off of the effect. So I, I think right. of Django, kind of in a lot of ways. Django, right? I wouldn't call Django trauma porn though. 
and here we that's go. A, that, that's a, that's another yeah. That's a, that's another conversation. That's another conversation because this this whole part in this this whole conversation ain't about Tyler Perry like specifically. But I want to make sure we address like him being the next person to take over BET because I even because even when even when we look at his BET shows, he had a show called Bros and he has a show called Sisters. We had girlfriends. Years ago, <laughs> you know, what I mean, that's cool, but I feel like because like, a lot of us have sat, sat and take the time to watch the shows, it's easy to be critical of bros versus versus sisters. But what if the naming just you had terrible people in, in the writing room and in the creators' room who were thinking about how to market that shit and that's trash, but the actual content of the show is redeemable? We don't know that because we too right. busy being like, Oh, Tyler Perry said bros, he said, sisters. Leave it alone, yeah, that nigga, yeah, that Right. Okay. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, but again, I'm not saying he ain't shit. That's why we definitely want to make sure if you just join in the conversation, if you go back a little bit earlier, we definitely talked about the good, the, the phenomenal things that Tyler Perry has done, right? But that that does not, you know, put him above criticism. So, like the the ugly part of what I feel like Tyler Perry produces is that at its worst, it's trauma porn, right? Um, and so that's that's where we stand with Tyler Perry being somebody poised to take over BET. Then we got Byron Allen, right? Byron Allen is a, well, we can consider an American businessman, TV producer. And then what I found out, like, four minutes conversation, he was a comedian. I didn't know that. He was actually discovered by Jimmy Walker um, doing comedy at 14 years old. Jimmy Walker of Good Times fame. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we know him as billionaire black man Byron Allen. He became billionaire black man Byron Allen. when he started in 1993, a production company known as CF Entertainment, but it struggled early on. And mm. it actually, it, 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 uh, he got into a lot of debt, when, uh, faced multiple foreclosures. And for that company, he actually conducted business on a payphone. They were so broke. The company was renamed Entertainment Studios in 2003. And in 2012, he began forays into scripted uh, programming, like uh, shows I've never heard of, The First Family, Mr. Box Office. I ain't, I've never heard of him. But where he got his money is that they started buying, that company, Entertainment Studios, started buying uh, different film distributors and other programming, such as The Grio, mm-hmm. uh, The Weather Channel, and uh, Equity Stake and Sinclair Broadcast Group, which had a majority control of Fox Sports Network and many like Fox affiliates throughout the country. And so by October like 2022, you said what? I think it's like 26 affiliates across the country or something like that. Right. And so by 2022, that company, Entertainment Studios, that back in 1993 or 1996 went broke, was worth $4.5 billion. $4.5 billion. And so uh, Byron Allen, as a, as a as a businessman, I can't I can't really speak to any of the shows or anything that he's produced because um, I ain't really watched a lot of it. I know he has a show called Comics Unleashed, and this is a show that he specifically does to give up and coming comedians an opportunity to get a check and, and that to, was get exposure exposure. to get booked. Hmm? That was my exposure to Byron Allen was Comics right. Unleashed. They used to come on late night TV, and I'd be like, I don't know who these people are, but they sitting around in the circle, just kind of taking turns. Telling funny stories and funny jokes. And I'm like, oh, okay, that was neat. And he would always be at the table, kind of running the conversation or like hosting and uh, moderating the conversation and tossing around to different people. I was like, why he not really telling no jokes? He just this bald-headed black man with a smile on his face, just kind of vibing. And come to find out he was this uh, you know, developing himself into a tycoon, if you will, in the entertainment industry and really breaking a lot of barriers therein. 
Right. And so and, and being and being somebody else who's like, I want to make sure I give people opportunities. Right. right? Um, the thing the thing that, that I, I think stand out the, the most to me with um, Byron Allen, and this is something me and Toya talked about before the show that I definitely want to point out, is both, and Toya, Toya pointed this out, both Tyler Perry and Byron Allen made it out of the Me Too phase. These are billionaires, powerful black men um, who was in a lot of the same positions, not like not necessarily with movies like Harvey Weinstein, but carried a lot of power like Harvey Weinstein. They did mm. not get me. Let's remember that they did not get me too. Like when when powerful men was being was being uh, uh, called to the center, because in days past they was able to get away with a lot of nonsense. People like somebody like Byron Allen and somebody like uh, Tyler Perry, and with no accusations, with no claims, and, and I mean, I correct us if I'm wrong. Right, I did a little, yeah. You know I mean, and so the fact that they was able to, the fact that they was able to make it out of that, um, is amazing. So that's the tale of the tape, and they're not buying yeah. it together. Yeah, it's not a joint effort. It's one or the other, right? So delightful, uh, Deli B was like, you know, I believe Tyler Perry and Allen can balance the channel. I'm, I, you know, I think it would be really interesting if they did. I think the thing that changes that is if I read correctly about them joining for, forces and buying BT together. Um, it is that then they would still be minority stakeholders, right? It would be too many individuals for one of them to have a minority, right. or sorry, a majority, which recalibrates kind of the power they would have to do certain things and influence the program and other, uh, you know, strategic decisions. And so that's where I think I w- it would be interesting. I think it's like a yin and yang. And I can't even say it's a yin and yang thing because outside of comedy, I don't really know about the types Byron of things Allen Ireland wants to produce. I just know he buys shit and, you know, kind of... Um, <laughs> is able to fill space um, in, in, in that way and be a presence in ways that other Black people are not. But I would be interested to see, you know, what would come of BET if they were to join forces. But for right now, it's one way or the other. So now the, the question becomes, what do we want from BET? Right? Like, we, uh, with, we, all the, uh, with, with all the um, conversations surrounding uh you know, like independent black media, uh, and we're gonna talk about capitalism in a second, and and how that co-ops a lot of things. But what do like? Because to me, the idea is that BET reflects black culture, not stereotype mm. black culture, not not the black culture that's acceptable to white people. But if BET was an example of independent black media, uh, it would be a it would be literally a place where the unknown black artist, you know, what I'm saying, gets their first shot. The unknown mm-hmm. black comedian, the unknown black filmmaker, the unknown, you know what I'm saying, uh black influencer, right? Get the, the get they get a talk show, they get a, you know what I'm saying, but just something to showcase, not the people like not waiting until white people accept this black person, and then we as black people attach ourselves to them, but black people highlighting and spotlighting black people in a way that we make them popular to us, regardless of you know what I'm saying, everything else. So that like that's that's what I want would want to see from BT. What about you? Um, I think what I would want it's hard to say what I would want to see from BT because I think a lot of what I would want to see from BT they tried and I don't think black people support it. Um, in all honesty, they had a bunch of black talk shows. Um, and I think TJ Holmes, who was most recently in you know, some sticky <laughs> stuff from his issue that he had with his co-host yeah. on Good Morning America was the thing yeah. or whichever morning show that was. But he used to have his own talk show. 
uh, shoot, even shows like Teen Summit. Like there were a bunch of different like programming. We supported Teen. Teen Summit was extremely. Popular. I don't know because I don't remember. I feel like these shows got canceled, or maybe mm-hmm. maybe they were strategic decisions that were made by the network to focus and divert to different types of uh, uh, uh programming. But I specifically yeah. remember BT taking strides to incorporate different diverse programming and not really sticking or staying because people weren't banking with it no more. Now. In the last decade, and I in the last decade, well, Hulu been around for 15 years. Uh, Netflix has probably been around for probably 18, not quite 20 in the streaming capacity that they've been, but they're in. But we know we pivoted away from cable television, right? And we've, we've moved. And so I think both MTV and BT made weird decisions to move away from programming and focus on syndicated shows and even play less music videos. They did a lot of weird stuff. No, no music videos. Exactly no right. Videos. Get back to music videos. People still I mean, watch music maybe that's videos. Just what it is. It's just kind of because I, I I don't remember the last time I watched a music video on TV. Right, I've watched, but, music but we still watch. You watch them on. I've watched music videos on YouTube for the last I feel like decade is where I go to see, and I don't go look for music videos. Somebody's just like, "Have you seen this video?" I'm like, child, I don't even know they was making videos no more because they're not on television. So I I, I say this not to be misunderstood. I just feel like BT. Um, really missed or we really missed the ability to appreciate some of the tentacles that BET was trying to have to his programming and I don't really know if they or if we are interested enough to go back right and rededicate ourselves because now we're not dedicated to channels now we're dedicated to streaming platforms we don't have fidelities to certain channels and what they play we kind of do but really for the most part we're going to streaming platforms getting our mixed bag of whatever it is that we want to watch Right, so I got some fact checking. First, Tyler said BT uncut and nothing else is what uh, he would prefer. Uh, looking back, uh, Hulu started in 2007. I think Netflix started streaming in 2010 or so. Hulu was celebrating their 15 year anniversary this year. I've been seeing a lot of promo on that on Hulu, so I don't really know um, how that. I guess that kind of jives with the 2007 number and then Netflix and it's streaming. But either way, we have shifted further away from cable and into these streaming platforms more than anything. So I don't know as a channel. And keep in mind, I think. Paramount Plus has an app. Mm. So in some ways, BET would start to, I guess, integrate whatever's on the BET Plus app and with BET. Right. Do, but well, the BET know. Plus is its own app. Like BET Plus is its own stream. I guess it would just be some combination of content. And th- with app-based consumption, I still mm. don't see people running to the BET. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. So, so I mean, because I, I actually, I've I've had this conversation um with my wife multiple times, well, and I, what what it is is that our relationship with TV is shifting. Like TV isn't going broadcast television is is out of there, right? Because mm-hmm. like with streaming, all you need is internet, right? So the, like the way that we've known cable and broadcast TV, that's out of there. But the networks that rely on you know the the broadcasting channels, they're still the same. They still putting out the same stuff, and so yeah. what what the like, so we still have a fidelity to these uh, uh, production companies, right? We have a fidelity to Paramount. We have a, we have a fidelity to Disney. That's why we have Disney Plus, right? And so, the, and even, even with Netflix, I'm not a Netflix person at all. I'm actually more of a Hulu person. You know what I mean? And so, and, but, but that's simply because I know I can get Fox properties, like Family Guy, American Dad. I can get them on Hulu, right? And so it, it's really a question of BET as a production space. Mm-hmm. BT as as not just a network, you know, fan for broadcast TV, but BT as a space, uh, as a media conglomerate, media platform 
right? And having other media platforms up under it. Because it ain't necessarily about just watching BT, but BT having its own production company that they created with this other person that's now getting all these opportunities to create these TV shows and, you know what I'm saying, and all of those types of things. And so with uh, with the direction that it's going to, I would, I would have to say that, like, to be honest, I would feel more comfortable with Byron Allen taking over BT than Tyler Perry because I see a lot of the same, the, the issues that we have with, with BT now persisting under Tyler Perry. But I think Byron Allen we, it has been someone that's like, I need to create a black network. I need to create the black network. I got, I got to have, you know what I'm saying, a major black network. And so it was like the, his focus on that, like being like independent media minded. Don't shake your head at me. Independent media minded, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is more important than like Tyler Perry's artistic vision. I mean, it'll probably, it'll probably, it would probably still exist in BET, but it's like the, 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 the independent media minded focus. I think I, I would prefer more Byron Allen to come out on top with this one. I don't know. Um, before I kind of answer some of that question of who I prefer to come out on top, Melodious said, I'm not sure what I want to see besides 106 and Park, but I do know I don't want to see three day while and not marathons. <laughs> I I you know, do you want to see three day, uh, uh, of pain marathons? I don't think that's even just sheer volume of content that can be played. I don't think you're going to get three day long House of Pain, man. Like you're just being a hater. (laughs) Tyler continues. uh, TV as a whole doesn't have a direction or an idea of what they want to do to attract new, new viewers, especially young viewers. And that's exactly true. They're putting so much energy or I don't think they're putting enough energy in and trying to fight streaming. And what's happening with that particular orientation, I think their biggest biggest leg up with streaming platforms is that because every all the content is so displaced, everybody's having to buy a bunch of streaming packages to a bunch of different platforms, which means they're paying about the same as they would for cable. So I think as long as cable can find a way to make cable prices cheaper, that dissuades people from kind of, I guess, having a bunch of apps or too many apps, but they're just kind of losing the battle that top level battle of just getting people to turn on and pay for cable television, let alone what the hell to put on the channels, right? They're just kind of fighting against uh, time as the clock moves forward. So it's rough to see how they get viewers back in general. Cause for right now, the only people who still with cable are people who want to make sure they can watch Fox News, make sure they can still watch CNN. Maybe they want to watch a little bit of Food Network. Because sports is moving, moving to streaming platforms too. Exactly. Who right? has live sports? I mean, I guess you get benefits from a lot of different, like you can have Xfinity, you can have Spectrum and still be able to stream games and stuff like that. But everybody want to do that if they could just have it on their TV already. Um, right. uh, do Let's see. Uh, Tyler also says, I think both are a bad idea. Youth drives the culture. Tyler Perry's audience is 100% on TV. <laughs> no, I, I, but you know what? Tyler what? Perry does have a, a kid show on Nickelodeon it's called Young Dylan. And so that's what I was about to say. I think cross apply my arguments about why Tyler Perry is so good to this part of the conversation. And I think he is more likely to create an infrastructure for new and underknown and underappreciated artists, producers, writers, uh, uh, a journalist, all different type of people to come in and influence the platform, right? In a way that is meaningful and create space and lanes. I think if anything, the reason why I don't trust Byron Allen and I wouldn't choose Byron Allen to, to lead it is because I just don't got no proof in the pudding on how Byron Allen blackness has implicated his ownership of these affiliates or uh, the Weather Channel or what connects blackness to Byron Allen's presence. He's black, he's present, but I don't know if that is a direct offshoot to his interest and in investment in black people as a culture. If we're looking at BET 
and it's you know, a clearer seams, thicker seams that connect Tyler Perry to the interests of black people and putting black people on and creating opportunities for black people to be on screens, right? Yeah. There's no, and I don't, I mean, yeah. I think the weather is kind of objective and, and people would disagree because, uh, you know, there is uh, uh, environmental racism and all different types of things that show us how weather mm-hmm. affects black people and brown people in particular. But Byron Allen is yeah, not going out of his way just because he owns the Weather Channel. Huh? I said the weather still the weather, but I hear you. The weather is still the weather, but there is also racialized way to, ways to understand the weather and the influences on weather. And I don't think Byron Allen is breaking his neck to go explain people to people the dynamics of uh, 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 environmental racism or the ways that climate change are specifically affect. You know what I'm saying? Like those are not things yeah. that are part of the But see, my only my, my, my only rebuttal to that would, would be coming I, I I do you know Tyler Perry does have connections to younger culture. So like Tyler Perry's art in and of itself is for aunties, but people outside of aunties fuck with Tyler Perry, right? Uh, and he fucks with people outside of aunties. Uh, it's so, I, I give you that, but at the same time, like you know, Byron Allen, By, <laughs> Byron Allen, <laughs> I don't watch what my aunties watch, but Byron Allen has, still has yeah. been independent, like black independent media focus. So when you have like, cause like, for example, he owns uh, 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 Fox, uh, Fox Sports, right? You can't, it, you, I, to make that now, Black Weather Channel would be dope. Horror Story Chases would be dope. But I, I leave it at that. I, I told you, you make a good point. You you do make a good point, and I leave it at that uh, because I do want to get to uh, the last part of this conversation, which also could make everything we talking about seem foolish in the long run. Anyway, like we putting our faith into something that we really shouldn't. And yeah. so, uh, a Twitter user by the name of uh, Three Eyes is enough. Three eyes is enough. Shout out to him. Um, responding to the conversation about Byron Allen and Tyler Perry bidding against each other, what he pointed out was these are capitalists. They not, they do not give a fuck about your black business fantasies. Right. So as we sit back and talk about these two media moguls creating this independent black network, that is going to be solely made for black people to get opportunities and put black people on TV and make black people movies. These niggas is focused on the buck. Yeah. <laughs> like, these niggas is focused on the dollar. And so, because it's so outside of our fantasies about what Tyler Perry would end up creating, we got to think about like, all right, these niggas won't add dollars. Yeah. BT as a, as a platform, as a channel is only going to be as valuable as its ad dollars. And so, at the end of the day, the the network and the programming is still going to have to it's still going to have to do something to make sure that advertisers want to spend their money with this channel, right? So, I what, what's your response to uh, to Brother Three Eyes um, tweet? I mean, it's right on the money. You know what I'm saying? I believe Zeus was started by a black man. Um, I believe that there are a bunch of different platforms that have black people influencing the content on it. And that don't necessarily mean they in the best interest or the uh, increased capacity or, you know, understanding of black culture in any way. And so, you know, I, I we do have to be very careful about the trust that we put into certain people having certain metrics of power. And then, so I don't think we're going to have, you know, a situation where, uh, you know, Blueface and Krishan get their own shows on this particular channel. You know what I'm saying? I don't think Tyler Perry would be I mean, that. but 
But that's mm. what sells, right? That's what niggas are eating up. That's what's getting ad revenue dollars and this, this, and that. Yeah. And so I, I think we do have to be realistic and put our two feet back on the ground and understanding that I don't know that they will necessarily find blackness to be profitable. And I don't th- think that blackness and 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 presenting it in the ways that will satisfy us is as profitable, profitable as it was maybe even a decade ago. That's what I'm saying. I think niggas have missed their window, right? Like, I just, I, I don't see it having the- Man, we, we are the window. Yeah. Or in force that we wanted to have <laughs> just because I feel like yeah. niggas is about the bag, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, said, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Tyler said, get Ryan Coogler to, to run the network like Robert Rodriguez did, did with L. Ray. I'm not familiar with that. Ryan Coogler is a beautiful mind. That's what I was about to say. I'm not familiar with Robert Rodriguez uh, and or L. Wright, uh, the, the context of that, but I do know that Ryan Coogler should definitely be in the mix of anything being created. Um, cinematic, c- cinematography, like cinematic, yeah. cinematic. Uh, Tyler said, Tubi is the black streaming service. If you know, you know, that's my <laughs> problem. We cannot just keep saying cheap looking sh- sh- stuff, yeah. We can't just keep saying cheap looking stuff is the black stuff. Just because black people throwing shit together on, <laughs> like throwing shit together with five thousand dollar budgets and throwing it on Tubi. I mean, mm-hmm. hey, the independent hustle, hustle. You know what I'm saying? Do what you do, but you know, nah. So we gonna we gonna see how this plays out. Uh, you know, again, because Tyler Perry virality may uh, both not end up getting nothing. Melodious Rambling said, "Black mm-hmm. millionaires or billionaires are about their money first. See Beyonce, Oprah, and most rappers agreed." Period. So period. I mean, so you know, they they're they are not outside of that criticism, but it'll be interesting to see, you know what I'm saying, how this ends up. With that being said, uh, let's go ahead and transition over to our next chop. Toya, let's get to it. Let's talk about these police. Hey, so uh the police, uh a, a group of individuals whom we constantly spend the block to talk about, um, largely because they influence and are embedded in such big components of our everyday lives. Either uh, they are on the streets um, violating people's rights, they are pushing back against calls for them to be held more accountable, or um, on the rare occasion, they do something uh, worth being Excuse me, political plug. Can you ring and silence your ringer? Thank you. Um, They do something worth being committed. (laughs) Either way it goes. Uh, when we talk about the police over here, we have a critical lens that we use and these police gangs that we've been hearing about coming out of the LA Sheriff's Department uh, definitely have us scratching our heads, looking skeptically, but also kind of existing in our confirmation bias and letting us know that things that we felt and probably already understood about how the police work were exactly what we thought they were. So um, a few weeks ago, uh, there was an article Release. Did you get the name of the young lady who produced this article? I forgot. Uh, the report. The reporter in the report. There was a 15-part yeah. report released, and we're going to get the name because I believe she's a, a Black lady who did um, this 15-piece analysis about the gangs that exist in the L.A. Sheriff's Department. These gangs have been pervasive over the last few decades and have grown to larger prominence, so much so that over the course of the last two sheriffs, uh, two two sheriffs that have been over the sheriff's department uh, have done little to nothing to grapple with these issues all over. They although they've run on kind of notions and notes of kind of dealing with this. So currently we have uh, Sheriff Luna, uh, and Sheriff Luna ran on uh, the 
letter of really dealing with police gangs, being aware of the fact that this violence existed, but has done little to nothing to alleviate the problem of police gangs uh, that exist in the L.A. Sheriff's Department. And thing. I think uh, Sheriff Villanueva is also an individual who, uh, on his way out of office, was uh, largely criticized and um, kind of a lot, a huge part of his confrontation, which was the way that these uh, different gangs were allowed to run rampant. Now, a little context for you for just how bad the gang issue is inside of the L.A. Sheriff's Department. The ACLU did a report um, or did an investigation and determined that one out of every six L.A. Sheriff's Department officers were affiliated with a gang. And when I say a gang, I'm not just talking about kind of, you know, a friendly group of people who have decided to band together under the name of brotherhood or sisterhood and kind of just look out for each other. I'm talking about literal groups of people who, just like the street gangs that we are aware of in our own communities, have uh, rites of passage, who have um, uh, processes or procedures, including killing civilians, right. including having certain types of arrests, including planting evidence, including all types of problematic things that gets them their stripes, that gets them included. I'm talking about the uh, very clear observation within the police department of gang tattoos, gang logos, gangs, uh, gang uh, um, paraphernalia that has been created, symbols, literal artifacts that have been created to bring these groups of people together. And if that's not enough, the names of some of these gangs include, but not are not limited to, the Little Devils, the, the 2,000 boys, the 3,000 boys, the Vikings, the Compton Executioners, the Regulators, the Cavemen, the Cowboys, the Grim Reapers, and the list goes on, right? So, so many different gangs that exist within this particular municipality, and I think it's important to talk about, and the reason why I really want to talk about this report that came out, Plug, did you ever find her name? Uh, so, the actual the actual report itself, it was a, uh, it's actually a few people on there. Uh, well, let's we'll make sure we give them their credit for creating. Yeah, yeah, it's at the it's at the top right up here. There's a few individuals that work together: Samuel Peterson, Dion Barnes, Proby, Catherine E. Boskill, Lois M. Davis, Matthew. So these are these are the individuals that work to put this together right here. Got you. So one of the reasons why I really kind of want to talk about this and have dedicate some time to it is that there is a culture of normalization, and what I mean when I talk about the normalization of police gangs is the fact that. Um, it's something to know about in terms of the LA Sheriff's Department, but you can bet your bottom dollar because of the nature of police modeling that we've seen especially become per pervasive over the times of the uprisings that we've had in our country, that these, these police departments are emulating each other, right? Both because of the heavy criminalization of our communities, of black and brown communities, and because of these uprisings and the, and the, the, the tarnished and broken relationship that the public has with the police. Right. We are definitely yep. seeing examples of internal conversations being had across the country about uh, how they can better band together, click together, and really go out there and take a bite out of crime in some of the most worst and heinous ways. So what we found, and the plug kind of talked about this when we were talking off the show, is that we looked around for other examples outside of the L.A. Sheriff's Department. But what did you find when you tried to look for other other police gangs across the country. So the, it was it, it was always a slight conversation to where it was um, like they again because they refer to them as subgroups, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so when you look up LA LA gangs, this is the first report that actually refers to them at, or not LA gangs but police gangs. But this is the first re report to refer to them as such. Like yeah. usually it's just kind of like police cliques, police groups, right? And and in uh, in other instances. Similar to the instance that we saw, we saw with Tyree Nichols, it would actually be uh, gang units. So the unit itself 
would come together. Like for example, uh, when in, in the instance of Tyree Nichols in, in Memphis, they had the Scorpion mm-hmm. unit, right? And we're gonna talk more about that in a minute, yeah. Yep. Uh, but but so like I, so how so how these gangs were understood up until this report was through like just the relationships that they had developed, not based on their criminality, uh, unless it had to do with something like, for example, you have a high crime unit, like a, like the Scorpion unit that focused on hotspot policing, right? So up until now, up until this most recent report, there was there had been no can like a, a comprehensive look at any one particular area of policing like this is the first time that we actually get to see how pervasive this is and so i think that's important to allude to because i think what has happened is when you get deal with one of the largest police departments in the country right only second Mm -hmm. to the policing uh, municipalities that are in new york right it's easy to start to see that clearly this is a, a not a new phenomenon but a very large phenomenon that you see can see with other groups and i think that culture of policing And let's not forget about the history of policing, right? Mm -hmm. The history of policing is embedded in being a gang and rallying up as many white folk as you possibly could who have taken up the vow to protect the the whatever area they were from the slaves, right? From those, you know, those those rowdy niggers and whatever Mm -hmm. they had going on, right? To make sure that they stayed in line and stayed put together speaks a whole lot to the gang affiliated groupings that took the, the the agreement to protect and serve and really also made it something more insidious. That agreement to band together started to become a little bit more sticky and problematic. And so we look at the culture that's been created. We look at the literal signs and symbols, the names, the ways that these gangs have been kind of created and separated and allowed to exist. And then I think the second thing we look at when we talk about the normalization of police culture or what allows for police gangs to be normalized are the amounts of settlements that have been paid to individuals who have tried to expose these police gangs, right? In that police report that, uh, or I'm sorry, that 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 research analysis and 15-part report that the plug pulled up, it alludes to a few different uh, opportunities for both civilians who came to discover about the police gangs or uh, to reveal that they were negatively targeted by them to get, I think, upwards of $7.1 million in settlements not to expose the information they had discovered, but also police officers within the department, whistleblowers, would-be whistleblowers who were enticed with, I think it was like 8.7 or $8.5 million worth of a settlement. I'm pulling, I'm pulling them up now. I'm, pu- I'm pulling not, up the uh, civilian lawsuits over the yeah. yeah, But pay this money to not reveal the insider information that they have about police gangs within the police department. So when we talk about normalization, we are talking about an, in- interest, an, an institution that is set up and designed to shut people up before a lot of this news gets out and undermines their work in policing. So talk to us about what we got up here. All right. So what the what the report was able to compile is each uh subgroup or each gang. Because let's talk about this real quick to you. <laughs> as we get as we have this conversation, the report keeps referring to these to these subgroups or to these gangs as subgroups. The reason why it's important that we refer to them as a gang is because it it humanizes them yeah right it 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 it, it makes it makes them more palpable or or more palatable excuse me uh when when we refer to them as subgroups but when you look at the violence that they've been involved with anybody else that did this type of shit will be considered a gang right so when we look at these gangs 
here we got the 3000 boys back in 2011 civil rights violation that got swept under the rug the 2000 and 3000 boys in 2012 excessive force banditos from the years 2018 or 2018 19 and 20 wrongful deaths all of that's still pending all of that's still in the courts these the cpt executioners mm-hmm. wrongful death civil rights violation wrongful death right the, and when we see these wrongful deaths this is murder these are these pol- these are these police gangs participating in and what and what literally can be considered uh, uh, uh recruitment killings yeah getting a body to be able to get your tear to be able to get your tattoo right jump out boys wrongful death 1.5 million if we go back to the uh, executioners up, up here we'll see taylor uh versus county of los angeles seven million dollar wrongful death suit outcome what they mm-hmm. paid uh, vi- uh with with the jump out boys 1.5 million uh wrongful death suit vikings a class action lawsuit against uh, uh, uh the uh, the county of los angeles six million dollars for excessive force and discrimination ten million dollars for civil rights violations and wrongful persecutions so they like and, and let's let's remember this is taxpayer funds yeah we are paying for these gangs to get away with beating people to fuck up and murdering people violating their rights and, 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 and still end up like not having it because this is all civil shit. This ain't them actually suffering uh, 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 criminal implications of yeah. this type of shit. It's the city taking care of it for them with the money that we pay because I'm a citizen of LA County. My money go to them. Right? That part. So so these this, these are the examples of the civilian lawsuits that, uh, that, that took place uh, because of those gains. But as Toya pointed out, let me get to the. Uh, we can get to the. Look, uh, check out the comments while I pull up the uh, the actual uh, the actual uh, police officers that settled. So they so so they wouldn't get no bread off of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so a couple of the comments that we are hearing, Tyler, first of all, pointed out what we see is that these are some gang ass names too. Exactly. <laughs> these are not like the defenders or the protectors. Or shit, the the unicorns or the the, the yeah, I don't know. No, no, no. Like, I mean, I was even saying like sports teams. Like, that, can we get some lions? What about <laughs> the bears? You know what I'm saying? Like, but instead, these are very violent, very aggressive ass, annihilating ass names that are either historically tied to people who have gone through and perpetuated violence toward other people, or people who have the capacity to like y'all. Name is the Grim Reapers. Y'all bringing death. <laughs> you bringing death. To your community, and nobody's got to be like that. Shit's a little aggressive. Shout out to Kari in the comments too. Uh, but the cop and executioners, who are you executing? And even if it were the criminals, you don't get to choose that, my nigga. That's for the jury and the judge to determine and negotiate. So, like, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that when we think about and we talk about the existence, I want you all to understand how pervasive a certain mindset is. Right, we talk about gangs and I've historicized it and go back to slave patrols and talk about the ways that policing started. Very just like we've seen in a thousand other examples, this is deeply embedded in their hearts of hearts, right? Embed, deeply embedded in the way that they understand psychologically and emotionally how they carry out their jobs, that they are out there against enemies. They're not on our side, right? They're not doing these things or petitioning for our health and our safety. They are very much self-absorbed and thinking about themselves. And then this also alludes to what that report talked about. And uh, what it alludes to is the silencing 
that exists because we know there are no such thing as a good cop. And that's because nine times out of 10, you can't be a good cop. People who want to be good cops can't be good cops because there are strategies and tactics of silencing within police departments, i.e. the fear of abuse, right? The fear of being targeted by your own uh, 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 fellow officers, right? Losing ranking, losing the credibility and respect of your commanding officers. There are so many things that officers have to negotiate, including self-preservation, that a lot of them don't step up and say, hey, there's some shady shit going on. Hey, my partners, my colleagues are going rogue. They're doing things that are detrimental to the health, to the safety, and to the protection of the community we're supposed to be serving. And so these different elements, the culture uh, slash history of policing, the settlements that have been able to become enticing enough for people to look the other way and not do expose some of the way these gangs work and also the intimidation tactics that exist are what allow for this issue to be ever so pervasive and to shape and formulate the one-sixth of every officer aligning themselves with with gang activity. And it's it's definitely important to note that these gangs operate mostly in minority neighborhoods. Yeah. And and the and the reason why they're able to function that way is is that they call these communities high crime neighborhoods. So a lot of like this hyper-violent behavior that we see is justified because they think these people are going into war zones. Right. Even even when even right in, in L.A., there's a conversation about community policing that's going on right now. Yeah. And, and the common response to community p- policing is, well, we, what if it's somebody like it's, it's going to be people shooting and it's going to be people like let's not get it twisted. There is gang violence in places like Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Right. They don't police there, though. We're, police don't go to places where they know gang members be. Mm hmm. They don't be riding up and down blocks where it's actually people. Because the reason why we know this is because when police get called to those neighborhoods, the response time for them to get there is ridiculous. So they're not there. They're not there. The places that you could call a war zone, police aren't operating there. Just check the response times when the police get called, when the ambulance gets called. Right. So they're in the they're in minority areas where the gang violence ain't even happening. And the people that's 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 catching the most slack for these type of things are just normal black people that's 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 just existing and living in particular areas. But here are the uh the numbers for uh the deputy lawsuits that took place. So when Toya was talking about how they work to like protect these dudes, like these are all the deputies that settled lawsuits so that they wouldn't have to so pretty much so they wouldn't like, you know, be a whistleblower. They wouldn't undermine the whole system. You got, yeah. again, the 3,000 boys, it was an assault. They, they assaulted a deputy at a holiday party. The banditos, sexual harassment, hazing, retaliation, $1.5 million settlement. Mm-hmm. Uh, sexual harassment, retaliation, $1 million settlement. More harassment, civil rights violations. These are deputy lawsuits. This is what they do to their own people. Yeah. The executioner, <laughs> CPT, assault, bullying, intimidation. Retaliation. So it ain't retaliation. No it, ain't no, it ain't no telling. Once you locked in, you. It, I mean, first, once you locked in to be a, a police officer, you basically join the game, de facto. Right. Right. And right. then after that, it's blood in, blood out, where you decide whether you want to twist the knife a little bit and become even more of an affiliated, associated individual within that particular culture, right? So this is how the idea of subcultures gets created, but also very easily where you see this clickish behavior creating and further materializing this culture of policing. And so that's the direction I want to move in too, because I feel like even outside of these formal, like we've, we've exposed right now and talking about the LA Sheriff's Department, formal gangs, 
literal gangs where they understand themselves to be a gang. They move like a gang. They get tatted like a gang. They behave like a gang. They defend each other and protect each other like a gang. It is capital G gangs, right? But there are also very muchly, as we talked about with these subcultures and with the other just plentiful examples we see, that there are also informal gangs, right? There's a mob mentality that is associated with police and that has created a world where it wasn't just one. We, we know the most about Derek Chauvin, but we know for a fact that there was multiple police officers out there that allowed for the, mur- the criminalization and murder of George Floyd to happen. We know currently the Louisville, Kentucky Police Department is under investigation by the federal government. Right. right by the, the Department of Justice right now, Mayor Garland has been talking specifically about the ways that the policing in Louisville has been out of control because it was a collective effort that allowed for them to converge upon Breonna Taylor's apartment under a bogus warrant and go in there like a rogue police officer there shooting and shit like that to where her boyfriend let one shot off and they took that woman's life. Right. So they're even outside of formal gangs. Right. They don't need specific names, but they often behave and act with each other in that manner. And then we get to what the plug referred to before just a few moments ago and talking about the Scorpion Task Force. Right. Doing this hot spot policing where they didn't necessarily get together and say, we're going to be a gang. Y'all, let's click up. You got my back. I got your back. Whatever. And this is beside the side stories of this boyfriend and somebody's with an ex and this, this and that. None of that shit has been proven. Right. But what we do know, what has been proven is that individuals were made a gang, right? A task force. And we're deputized to move. Scorpion unit. (laughs) Yeah, we're deputized by the Memphis Police Department to move and function as a gang when they went out that night and murdered Tyree Nichols, right? And so when we look at the decisions that are, that they allegedly buy into, which are to protect and serve, and we've seen many examples from, what was it, Uvalde, and I think it was a Newtown mm-hmm. or another shooting where the police said, we're not obligated to go in and do shit. Right. right? There was, and they actually home. they actually won a lawsuit. They're yes. not. Police are not obligated to protect loss of life. You know, so they are not invested in doing things like solving crimes and preventing loss of life or protecting and serving as we more colloquially understand it, but instead, they are about annihilating right, and undermining. They do whatever they want to do to go in and reconfigure the situation to exist that they want to and be able to throw their power around. And anything else becomes a sub priority, if not a priority at all. What you got up about? So we definitely want to point out like you have uh, the report has been released. The DOJ report has been released on Louisville policing and the the, the scathing rebuke that's being discussed is that the findings they found out that uh, it, it was a consistent pattern of excessive force used by the Louisville Police Department. So what we saw with Breonna Taylor was not a spectacular example or a offset or offshoot of what it is that they typically do. It's a pattern of behavior that yeah. is, that comes from the Louisville Police Department because it's a gang mentality to even be a part of that type of like to because think about it. Even when these shootings happen, why if the the like the, the fraternal order of police in every state back it ends up backing up the shooters, right? Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what happened, there's always the fraternal order of police showing up, having the back of who, and and regardless of facts, yeah, that's how gangs operate. Yeah, gangs be like, hey, I'm a, like, yeah, you in the wrong, but we are gonna move together. Like they- one of my favorite lines from The Wire, one of my favorite lines from The Wire, uh, Slim Charles, the muscle for Avon, uh-huh. right? He was like, look, boss, when we at war, we at war. 
if we go at war over a lie, we at war over a lie. Yeah. But we still at war regardless. War. You know what I mean? If there is no in between. We got to rock with what we rock with. Because whatever, regardless, whatever happened to one police officer, it can happen to the rest of them. Absolutely. So they feel like they got to link up. Which makes these subgroups even more like ridiculous and dangerous. Yeah. Is that there's already this level of like fraternity and 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 uh partnership with just being a police officer, period. Period. They didn't went and was like, nah, it's deeper than that. We got like you you it's a whole nother level to this to where they beating up, harassing, assaulting, retaliating against their own people. That's it's what makes it ridiculous. Melodia says, what's horrifying is we have this data about one department in one state. There are 49 other states where it's significantly less data. And that's what I've been hollering about this entire time. That's why I want to put this on everybody's radar. So we know that this stuff is probably, this is not unique. This is just, these are people who have gone beyond the millions of dollars of settlements, gone beyond the, I'm sure, closed doors and aggressive confrontations about exposing some of this information and when it made it available to us in the first place and or organizing in the way that's digestible. But you bet your dollar, mm -hmm. bottom dollar, that you can find other relationships. You think in the South? I mean, let's talk about the, one of the biggest games we know to be in the country called the KKK. When they don't got them robes what? on, they go put their uniform on and go to work. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So let's 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 not pretend like we aren't aware potentially of the fact that these gangs exist, but I want you all to know that they have power and that they are able to exist and persist in areas like yours right down the road because of the way that this type of shit has been normalized. It also brings me to, before you talk about what you got on the, the screen plug, what you just said, right? When a shooting happens, the, the, the you would think that in order to keep the reputation of policing high and to make sure that your relationship with the public has not been compromised, that you would want to seem like an objective entity or group of people who with something, some mishandling or miscarriage of justice has happened mm -hmm. at the hands of one of your officers that you say, well, we're going to look at and like, scrutinize their behavior. The right, the law. Right, we're going right. to check everything. We're going to make more. every dot is, uh, you know, pointed and every T is crossed and we won't sleep until we know that the person who gets up and puts their boots on and their uniform with us is doing their job the right way. That's it right. That's it right. They be like, mm, no, nah, we're going to stand with our officers. We understand how hard this job is. Shot him, like, hey, like, police shoot people. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, why mm -hmm. is that not the interest? But your investments are in the game, in the group. Whether it's a lie, whether it's the truth, whether it's whatever, we got to right. We at war. Right? The same the bars you just quoted are the same is the same mentality they go into that precinct with every day. So what are we looking at now? Uh, so this is this is again the deputy lawsuits for uh LASD. Uh but I, I brought it up because the, the brother Keith J makes a point about Christopher Dorner. If we all remember the story of Christopher Dorner, he was the uh the officer that had went rogue, he was in the military, he was a police officer, wrote a whole manifesto about how police officers were crooked and racism and white supremacy in uh the criminal justice system and policing and the military all of that type of stuff and he uh went on this got on the shootout with police uh he did take the lot like the life of a couple officers i think yeah and what we what we saw happen is is very suspect and it speaks to what we see what we see in here on the screen how other police are treated when they when they go against what their colleagues are doing yeah christopher Dorner wasn't just retaliated against he was a he was a whole extrajudicial killing. They didn't murder him by shooting him and having a shootout with him. They blew him up. They took a robot, had a robot drive a bomb next to him and yeah. blew the man up. Yeah. 
that's a neck that that is another level you know what i'm saying of like vindictiveness especially in the reason why it's called an extrajudicial extrajudicial killing because it's operating outside of the bounds of the justice system regardless of whatever heinous crime that man committed even including maybe killing police officers he still has to according to our justice system still has to see a day in court Absolutely. when police officers can justify blowing him up right then that's telling us that when even when it comes to their own they quicker to even cannibalize their own people when they're not operating inside of that gang mentality, yeah. that gang culture. The federal government did a whole report uh, to do yeah. what black people have always known. The police are not for us, black and brown people, and are not interested in protecting us, is what Melodious Rambling said. And I think that's what a lot of this information uh, reveals to us. We even had a video that we don't have to play, but that is demonstrative of kind of, do you want to play it or not? We can play it now. Play I, it. I do want to point out. I do want to point out. It's graphic. This video we about to play is graphic, but this is an example of the criminal justice system as we that we have to deal with. This is gang and, mentality right here. And this is what I want to show. This is actually I want to give a little bit more context. This is inside of a Mississippi jail uh, with an individual who's on suicide watch. And this is important. You'll hear them kind of talk about and narrate that, but I want to specifically talk about that because this also intersects with the conversations we have about policing and mental health. And the lack of apathy and the lack of understanding of how we ought to treat right. individuals who are already in very fragile and um, inconsistent states of mental health from moment to moment, particularly as they are behind bars. And so we see this mob mentality. Remember, these are not formal games, what we're about to see. But these are individuals who have such a mob mentality and such a game mentality uh, that this is the way that they corral around one another. And uh, I guess pretend to be supporting each other, even in this right. moment when they need This is no what game. support looks like. This is what support looks like. Looking out for your brother, looking out for your sister. And again, this again, is graphic. this is graphic. Viewer discretion is advised. I know that from all the TV I watched. Okay. They came into the cell. He's on suicide watch. They jump him. They beat him up. He's providing no resistance. This is a gang-related attack, obviously. Look at the brutality here. Other inmates literally come to save this man. No other news agency has this story yet. We're the first to bring this to you. And I have significant background as to what happened to this man. They're sad. Let me tell you what pisses me off about this clip. And his gang mentality and how all it takes is for you to, you know, get a badge and graduate from the academy. Or in this particular instance, be a part of, you know, the, the prison system and Department of Corrections. And all of a sudden, I guess a, a flip switches. It was like five on one. There were three prominent officers who went in and started delivering the blows. They were doing what they had sought out to do. They were levying a hell of an attack on this inmate who was on suicide watch, who, in my opinion, was not fighting back. Right. Never saw them raise their hand above their shoulders or even shoulder right. height to swing. It didn't have the space to do so. But there were two other officers in that video. There was an individual, a white man at the bottom who just for no apparent reason was reaching over niggas to get some jabs in. And then a black man came from outside of the cell to into the cell to add some more help and some more reinforcements for the three prominent officers who were officers who were already taking down somebody's shackle and handcuffed. And beating them already. Help me understand the logic be with that and in that, outside of what we've been alluding to, which is this 
this this insatiable appetite for destruction, yeah. harm, and danger for anybody they deem to be criminal from moment to moment, right? Things like that piss me off. Here's where I want to end the conversation and move it to, right? The, mm-hmm. the moral of this story and kind of where it ties together for me is the level of heightened uh, knowledge, awareness, frustration that we've had to, to develop as a public over these last few years, both from the protest in 2020 and also through the pandemic of public servants who have issues and trouble being public servants right now. We know um, as you know, I identify myself as, as, as a black feminist, right? I understand feminism through the lens of black women and black queer women in particular who have demonstrated for me what it looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like to strive for equality of myself alongside the other people who I coexist with and, and living things, the earth, people, all of that. We'll get into feminist theory and theologies and things like that later um, in different mm. ways and all that. But there's a woman by the name of Carol Hannish who was a popular or, or, or a notable feminist who uh, coined the phrase, the personal is political. And what she did in coining that phrase, the personal is political, was she was doing the work of exposing the fact that a lot of the issues that women um, and non-cis men experience on a day-to-day basis are very personal. They happen behind closed doors. They happen in households. They happen at dinner tables. They happen in bedroom spaces. They happen in familial spaces, but often are reflective of conversations that need to have some type of political salience on a larger stage. They represent the absence of conversations that we need to have, different moves mm-hmm. to make and change and influence policymaking that need to connect what's happening in the personal level to what's happening in the conversations we're having on a very political very public level, right? The personal right. is public, the personal is political. But what we've seen over these last few years is more, and so that's a more leftist interpretation of that that quote, right? right. What right. we're starting to see is on the right, we can't forget that the personal is political for them too. And so a lot exactly. of killed, violent, extremist ideologies and approaches and, and, and ways of living life, right, are very personal to them. And it is starting to bleed into their professional work. Right. We saw right. where that policing was influenced during um, and, and really we got we got a, another keener look at it during those 2020 protests with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. We've seen mm. right various individuals who are in healthcare fields, right, who are doctors and nurses who are paramedics and things like that. Throw a fit because they got to wear a mask. Throw right. a fit because... <laughs> Life-saving measures like vaccines are on the table. And so in very interesting ways, their personal politics have gone in to disrupt their ability to serve their constituents or conserve or to 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 right. protect to serve their public. Like right? why are you like why are you here as a public servant? Like what do you, you what, what do you think your purpose is here? Not joining no game. <laughs> right. And so me and the plug, um, you know, we are a part of the conscious collective. We do things outside of the pod in terms of uh, information, dissemination, facilitation, co- consultation. We work with a lot of different public entities and with government organizations and agencies to make sure that they are meeting the needs of their constituents effectively. And what that has led us to is me and the plug working with various government agencies to facilitate trainings, to make them better. And what was interesting and what we kind of scoffed at at the time was there is a particular fire department and we won't say what city, we won't even say what state, but there was a fire department that wanted us to come in and do some training on, what was it? Uh, intersectionality and it was uh it was mainly it was it was microaggressions microaggressions right you wanted to learn more about intersectionality and microaggressions because they at the at the time the value in that type of training 
And me and the plug were like, so, hey, you know, why are you like, why do you want the training? Why do you feel like this is necessary training? Like what need are we meeting by coming right. in and working with the individuals uh, that you are over? And the chief in this instance said, well, hey, we've had this incident where the, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what industry they're in so that we know what we mean when we talk public servants and why this gang mentality and culture is so pervasive. They were firefighters. And he was like, you know, I just, I'm getting some weird grumblings and conversations. The firefighters are wanting to break into their own like groups of people and get t-shirts made and paint up the side of, of the firehouse and try to have different uh, components. And they want to, they want to call the firehouse, the big house. And they want to call their, their group, the black sheep. And me and the plug, you know, we on the, we on the call with the chief. We like, okay, we understand. Yeah. You know, we can't let the big house be the big house. We can't let the black sheep get in there. And, and we kind of laughed about it. But, you know, after standing back and looking at what's happening with uh, the L.A. Sheriff Department and what we kind of understand about the mob mentality of policing, I stopped thinking that shit was funny because I was like, wait, what the chief's primary concern was, was that individuals will start to rally around each other and their own individually selected ag- agendas and objectives and desires and to move away from the primary reason why they were hired for that job, which is place. to protect people from fires and the to community. render necessary yeah. first aid. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess I just want to conclude this conversation by really forcing us to have a high level of awareness as we already should and as we already probably do as we go out into the public sphere and go get services from individuals who are expected to treat us objectively. They are ganging up. They're clicking up. They have secondary and tertiary interests that are not the ones that are on their contracts, not the ones that have been sold to us as right. a an effective and par- affected and participating community of their services. And there are a lot of different interesting things happening around and behind closed doors that are solidifying this shit is the way right. of the land and the lay of the land. And so right. I don't know about y'all. But I'm concerned. <laughs> and yeah. um, I definitely think that y'all should be mindfully concerned too. Plug, I'll let you get the last word. And then if not, we can go ahead and take it out for today. Yeah. So the last thing I say before we close it on out is just that, you know, I mean, because you, you you said what's mainly important is that it's it's increased awareness that this this idea of like now we it, we can confirm that the whole protect and serve moniker, you know what I mean, is not as true as you know what I'm saying, as they attempt to make it seem. Like we now know for sure that there's a gang problem, specifically in LA, but we can but we can assume that this gang problem exists across the country. Absolutely. Right? And so now this gives us another a, another uh, reason uh, to go into more research and finding out like who's suffering under these people, because for every for for you know every LA LA uh, sheriff department gang, right, Kansas, Kansas City Sheriff Department, right, the Houston Sheriff Department, Harris County. Right. Like it, there are like we, we can we can assume that gangs are existing in all these different places. And now it's on us to make sure it get uprooted. Like what we typically talk about with this type of violence is that it goes normalized because people it's, it's the type of things that people don't point out. It's the type of things that people don't focus on. And so now that th- that this report got the ball rolling, this should definitely be something that we encourage people look into with um, police departments around the country. Um, with that being said. We can go ahead and get ready to close it out on this Friday, man. I know y'all trying to kick it. It's five o'clock. So if you was at work, you off work, right? Uh, uh, whatever y'all trying to do, we trying to help y'all get to it. It's happy hour, everything else. 
Uh, thank y'all for joining us for this important conversation. Make sure y'all like, share, subscribe. Make, uh, make sure you following us on Instagram. Me, the political plug at Toya G at the Top Up Show. Toya, any last words? Hey, we appreciate y'all. We love y'all. Melodious Keith, uh, delightful DLB. I realized I was saying your name wrong the whole time. Tyler, we love you, man. Uh, appreciate you tapping in with us. And everybody else, if you didn't drop a comment, but you just been watching and kicking it with us, that's family time. And so we appreciate, appreciate y'all pulling you. up. Be good. Be safe next Thursday. Not next Friday. Today was a special occasion. Next Thursday, we'll be back with y'all tapped in, locked in, 7.30 Pacific, 9.30 Central, uh, 10.30 if you're on the East Coast. God bless you if you're going to rock with us that late. Right. But if, you, not, don't you. if you. you can't catch us on the late night, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Right. If y'all be like, oh, my God, I finally caught the chocolate show. I never... Look, it's cool. Just catch us on the back end. Melodious, 2 a.m. We're sorry. We're sorry. Listen, we we love you, family. Thank you so much for rocking with us. Y'all be good. Y'all be safe. We'll catch y'all next week. Man, listen. Hey, again, make sure you are subscribed to the Chop Up Show. Instagram, Facebook, wherever you do social media. We out.